We are on page 19 in the notes that you should have for our Parenting with Purpose class. And we will be picking up there. But I wanted to mention some things that are coming up before we pick up where we left off. One is that tonight at 5.30 is our annual Servant Seminar. That is for everyone who is a member of our church, even if you're not a member of our church, but you're thinking about being, which uh, that would be great. This would be informational for you about things we want to accomplish over the next 10 years. So we're going to be talking about some objectives that we have as a church for these next 10 years. We've completed our 15-year plan as our church is celebrating its 15th anniversary. So now we're developing some objectives for the next 10 years. 4.30 this evening, I encourage everybody who can to be here for that. We will have dinner as well um, in between sessions for that, so you don't have to, to worry about that. 4.30, we're going to go till 8 o'clock. We'll have about an hour in between for a light uh, dinner together. So that's tonight at 4.30. This coming Saturday at 10 a.m. at our house is our next Newcomers Brunch. Today is the last day for you to sign up for that. If you've never been to one of our brunches, then consider yourself a newcomer. And we would love to have you over so that we can get to know you a bit better in that setting. But we've got to know if you're coming so that we know about uh, what food, to ma- how much food to make. So please uh, let the folks at the Information Center desk know today that you would like to come to the brunch at our house this uh, Saturday, and they'll give you a map with directions uh, to our house. Uh, One week from today, at 5 o'clock, is our annual celebration dinner. That's our anniversary uh, celebration. That's at 5 o'clock, and there are tickets for that, $5 each uh, and $20 maximum for uh, a family. And you see in the program, the paragraph we have there tells you about child care that we have for that uh, from age, I forget what it is, but look in there, uh, up to fifth grade. I know that during the program portion, during the dinner, we're all in here together. And then after the dinner, uh, our program really just consists of very simply hearing from the congregation about how God has worked in your life over the last year. It's the only time during the year that we have an opportunity for testimonies. Uh, so it's the one time you get an opportunity to testify about how God's working in your life. That's an encouragement to the rest of the congregation. And even if you're not a member, we would love to have you come, but you do need to get a ticket for that. You can get those at the Resource Center. It's out that back door and across the hallway. And then two weeks from this evening is our next baptism. And if you have never been baptized, which means you've never been dunked in water to s- symbolize the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, That's what baptism is. That's what it symbolizes. That's how everyone in the Bible who was baptized uh, had it done. Uh, And it was only done to people who were believers, people who uh, were old enough. There's no age prescribed, but they were at least old enough to understand the, uh, the gospel and respond to it and then demonstrate that publicly by being baptized. So if that's never been the case with you, if you were baptized some other way, if you were baptized before you were a believer then Jesus commands you to, to be baptized. But today's the day. You've got to let us know if you're interested in that because I need to meet with you and so on. Uh, there's a one-page application at the Information Center desk. You get that, you fill that out, turn it into them, and we'll go from there. All right, we are in our series, Parenting with Purpose. And you see at the top of page 19, it says part two. We are in the second of two parts of the series. The first part was foundational issues to parenting where we looked at roles within the family, what a family is, what God's purpose for the family is, a number of foundational issues, but then we made a transition to part two that we call the paideia process. Paideia is a New Testament term 
for child and the process of bringing a child from uh, from childhood to adulthood is what I refer to as the paideia process. And we uh, left off on page 19 looking at the fact that there are phases of development for our, our children. And you see in the middle of page 19 that those phases are roughly roughly three, what I call the control phase, the formative phase, and the evaluation phase. The control phase is ages one, zero to six. And there we say that the parent's primary role is an authority figure exercising con- control. Then in the formative years, from seven to 12, the parent's primary role is as a coach or a, a mentor who is shaping the behavior of their, their child. And then in the evaluation phase, the teen years, the parent's primary role is as a sage or an advisor who is exercising influence. What we're going to do is today and then in two weeks, we will finish off this series by taking each of those three phases backwards. We'll start with the teen phase, and then we'll go to the uh, formative phase, and then we'll go to the control phase. And we're doing that because we want you to understand what the end game is. We started out by saying that the end game for you as a parent is for your child to become marriageable. And we've talked about what some of those uh, requirements are. Even if they don't get married, they need to be able to be married. Uh, Genesis 2.24, they will leave their father and mother and cleave to their spouse. And so you prepare them for, for doing that. And there's a lot involved in that. So beginning with the end in mind, if that's the end game, let's now back it off to those phases. And what do I need to do at each preceding phase to prepare my child for the next one, the succeeding phase, so that by the time we get to the end, they've gotten where they they need to go. So that's why we're taking these backwards. We're starting with the end, uh, the objective in mind, and then uh, looking at the phases and what needs to be accomplished in each in order to make progress. Now, in the Jewish model, they have a similar kind of kind of thing. From zero to six, the control phase, they say, we want to teach the child that I am a child of God, I'm unique, and I'm valuable and forgiven. And in the formative phase, uh, they say I they want to teach the child that I'm a valuable member of a family with distinct roles and responsibilities according to God's design. And in the evaluation phase, I'm a vital member of... in. Christianizing it, a local church with unique gifts and ministries to be used out under Christ's administration. If you look at the top of page 20, then the independence phase is when they become an adult and I'm responsible to live out my faith in the world community, investing my life, doing good, including through my occupation. So you have a a similar process where you have these phases and at each phase there's an objective that you're trying to, trying to achieve. Now, I said that we will look at these three phases, starting with the last one, the teen phase, uh, today and in two weeks. What about next week? Next week, we're going to have the second Corinthians class in here with us, and we're going to have the young adult class in here with us. Everybody's going to be in here, and we won't be doing parenting. Uh, we have a special guest next week from Bethany Christian Services, and Missy uh, Parker Miller is going to be talking about foster care and adoption and so on. Uh, she was with us a couple of years ago. She's a very uh, entertaining speaker, very informative speaker, and I think you'll benefit from hearing from her. But she's going to make a presentation next week. So we have today and two weeks from today left in our, uh, in our series. So let's make some tracks looking at these three phases. Page 20, the teen years, or what I call the evaluation phase. 
And I call it that because the teen is going to gain exposure to an increasing number of choices and thus have to evaluate them. And you are going to need to shepherd then your child through the evaluation of the worldviews that they are going to encounter, the different propositions that they will be presented with and truth claims that are, that are made, uh, the different philosophies of life that they're now going to be exposed to. But notice I say here the teen will gain exposure to an increasing number of choices. Now, one of the things that you as a parent have to do is help them with that exposure. If you don't help them with that exposure, then they will try to manage that themselves. And they will have voices coming at them that they are not equipped to to handle. And they'll have images coming at them that they're not equipped to handle. So I call that that exposure controlled or supervised or managed exposure. That that's what you want to do with your child is you want to... Uh, throughout their development, but in particular when they come to the teen years, allow them exposure, but not just freewheeling exposure. And certainly not exposure that they manage on their own, but rather it's controlled, it's managed, it's supervised by by you. Now, that's become a taller order in the last few years. Because now it's not just who are you hanging out with at school and what are you encountering at school and where are you going before you get home at curfew at whatever the time is. It's not just that. It's now all the voices that they're getting through the Internet. So they have a ubiquity of, of voices. I just like to say ubiquity. I have no idea what that means. They have a plethora. I like to say that too. Of an abundance of voices that are, that are coming at them. And because they have those on their phone and they have those on their iPad, and they have those on their computer, that becomes harder for you to control. Now, that makes the first two phases all the more important. Because the more you develop a relationship with your child and you form character in them, in in that middle phase, then uh, when, not if, when you are not able to manage what they're doing, you're not able to be there all the time, they're able to make proper choices about about those things. But even in this age, you still want to uh, have this as not just free-ranging exposure, but controlled, managed, supervised exposure for your for your child. So that means having some having some ground rules about this. And what we have done is, for example, we have not made our child's rooms caves. There are no caves in our house. There's no man cave. There's no wife cave. There's no kid cave. There's no place in our house where people just go and live separate from everybody else. You say, wow, what a horrible house you have, home you have. Well, it doesn't mean there's no privacy. So our girls have their own rooms. And uh, they, they have privacy in their own rooms. And there are times that they go in their rooms and they spend time uh, there. But... We haven't outfitted, for example, those rooms with televisions. Our girls have never had a television in their room. Why? When we, when we watch television, often we do it together. And we do it in the living room. So we have a living room, we have a family room. Now, I will admit to you that there are two televisions in our house. 
There's the one I like to watch, and there's the stuff, the junk they like to watch, okay? So if they don't want to watch the game, I can watch the game. But they're out in the, they're out in the open. So I would encourage you, parents, not to contribute to the isolation of your teenager by giving them places to go and live a separate life under the same roof. And yet that's what so many of our young people do. When they come home, they immediately retreat to their enclave and they've got all of their stuff there. And the only time they poke their head out, I mean, you may as well put a little trap door there and just you know slide their dinner underneath and you know some clean clothes every now and then because that's the kind of existence so many of our teenagers are are living so it's controlled exposure and one of the ways that you can help with that is not by by not supplying easy means for the child to in unsupervised ways just have unlimited time with television and with the with the internet so so that's one And then secondly, I would recommend that you have some guidelines for your child about how often they are on these devices and the reasons for which they are on the devices. Uh, It's it's fine to have some downtime. All of us need that to just, you know, catch up on the news and so forth. So there may be uh, and, and will be times for them to just be, you know, on the on the Internet and looking at what's going on, uh, but limited that most of the time there should be a purpose to it. You're doing it for homework or you're doing it to communicate with uh, with someone and that communication needs to be succinct. It doesn't need to be ongoing and forever. If you simply said to your child, look, this device is for you to communicate with the people in your circle of, of friends and relationships, well, okay. But a, a teenager will do that and communicate with them forever. So you have to define it a little bit better that you're communicating information to them that they need, that you need. Uh, you communicate, uh, you know, relationship to them, but you do it succinctly and then you, and then you, then you get off. So it's controlled exposure, managed exposure, supervised uh, exposure. But the exposure is going to happen. So if you don't help them with it, then they will be bombarded with it and be unable to manage it. I say in that paragraph, as he engages in more interaction with other people and intellectual stimuli, he'll be faced with the challenge of evaluating his own beliefs and lifestyle. In other words, he begins to personally appropriate his own system of belief and behavior. So there's what you've been giving him and her, but now they're being faced with challenges to that, and they are now going to have to own it. And that's why in this phase, uh, it's very important, I say, that one of the subjects of evaluation be competing worldviews. They're going to be faced with competing views of the world, how the world works, and what's involved in how we got here and why we are here and what it is we're supposed to do while we are here. They're going to get different views of that. Uh, If they go to a public school, which I don't recommend against, uh, there are three ways for you to... Educate your child, homeschool directly, Christian school or public school. And with a Christian school or public school, you're delegating portions of your responsibility, but you're not abdicating. That's what I told you a couple weeks ago. So if those are the choices you make, you still have to be the number one educator in your child's life either way. And they are going to be 
exposed to these different views of the world. So it means that you are regularly talking with them about, so what are, what are you guys being taught at school? You're aware of what's being, being taught. And you're interacting with them about that. If they go to a public school, they're being taught that they have evolved from lower life forms. And you don't believe that. I just told you, you don't believe that, okay? Because the Bible does not teach that, that we are the direct creation of God and we alone among God's creation are made in his image and it makes a profound difference in the way that child sees his or herself and sees everybody else. And it has it has numerous uh, then issues that flow from it. Now, you're aware of that. You need to make sure that your child understands that. You say, look, I'm not a scientist. I can't compete with these people that are that are teaching them. Fair enough. That's why you need to be aligned with a church who has partnered with you to help you with that. I know of a good church like that. And you should be aware that our uh, curriculum for our children is intentionally designed to help them in these in these phases. And when they get to the teen years, our teen uh, volunteers focus much of their attention on the development of a biblical worldview. So they are helping you with that. Larry Castle, who's been doing our teen work for all of our 15 years, and our girls had the privilege of going through the youth group with uh, him and with Julie and those helping them. And Larry's an expert on this stuff. He's an expert on creation and evolution. He's an expert on worldview kinds of things. And Larry's going to have to retire at some point, so we'll have to get somebody else. But that somebody else is going to have to specialize in that too because that's what teens are facing. So between you doing that and you partnering with the church with that, that's how you can tackle that issue. They also are going to be evaluating members of the opposite sex. And I don't say this lightheartedly, but uh, members of the opposite sex, and of course in our day they may be evaluating members of the same sex. And you may have that issue that you have to that you have to deal with as as well. And uh, if you uh, have any, if you have uh, that happening in your home, if you have some concerns about that, uh, or what, or ahead of time, what you might do uh, if you face that, uh, I did just a, a brief, some brief commentary last year on that issue from a biblical perspective. So if you want some information about that, email me. I've got business cards here with my email address on them, and I'll send you that that information. But mostly it's going to be members of the opposite sex and attraction to boys and boys and girls, and now the issue of dating and all of that, which means that you're going to have to define for your child what dating is and what the purpose is. So if you dated when you were a uh, teenager, and you did it in the meat market approach, kind of consumerist approach. I'm with you for a while. I'm tired of you now. I'm going with somebody else. There's all the drama and the heartbreak. You know, those two are an item. Oh, he, he dumped her. She dumped him. All the stuff that goes on at, at school with that. If you participated in that and you turned out okay, at least in your estimation, then you may end up foisting that on your, on your child. I would recommend you don't do that. Um, that as you look at what the Bible teaches about relationships between members of the opposite sex, dating's not dating as we know it is not there. Solomon has some wise, as you might imagine, as the wisest person to ever live, other than Christ. 
he has some wise uh, advice on that in the Song of Solomon. And the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon, is about relationships between young people, uh, male and female. And uh, one of the refrains in the book of Solo- uh, Song of Solomon is this, quote, Do not arouse or awaken love before its time or before it so desires. And it's used more than once. And the, the advice is this, that you don't put your young person in a position to give themselves emotionally and romantically before the time when they are biblically able to allow that to come to fruition. Premarital sex is, is fornication in the King James language. So the first time your child is supposed to engage in sexual intercourse is when they're married, according to the Bible. And to engage in sexual intercourse outside of marriage is sin. So you want to prepare your child for that. And you do not want them then, in the words of Solomon, giving themselves and their desires to someone at a stage and at an age where they're unable to bring that to fruition. Because what will they be tempted to do? Bring it to fruition before it's legitimate, before it's time. And that's what so many of our young people are doing. Our daughters are now just recently grown, 21 and 18. One of our daughters just recently had a young man ask her to be his girlfriend. Um, So I talked to her about stuff we've been talking about for years, stuff that I just said to you. So the whole dating thing and getting married and, you know, you're not ready for getting married. And so this is the way this is going to need to be pursued in light of that. And she gets all that, thankfully. Now it's important for him to get all that. So I have a meeting Thursday, this Thursday, with him to explain to him the very things that we've been explaining to to the girls. And my daughter knows I'm going to do that, and she's she's fine with fine with that. So that there's an understanding that it is a very good thing for uh, a, a boy and a girl, a young person, two young persons, to get to know each other as evaluation for whether or not this is the person that God would have me to ultimately marry. That's a good thing. So having those kinds of relationships is a good thing. And even establishing, now that they're older, an exclusive relationship for that purpose, that's a good thing too. But just understand, you're not going to give yourself emotionally and romantically to something that you can't bring to fruition as yet. And it's going to be a while before you can. So keep it on the friend level. You're getting to know each other. You're enjoying each other's company. You're you're testing to find out your compatibility and your, your goals and your uh, values and so on. And then when that's gone on for a while, and now you're closer to the point where you could actually make a decision for the long term, now you can make a commitment and a, an emotional commitment and a, uh, a, a romantic commitment that culminates in, in marriage. But then and only then. So that's the way, a la Solomon and the Song of Solomon, we should prepare our children for that. And then their evaluations will also include their personal strengths and weaknesses. They've got a broader range of people that they're being exposed to. That's showing them how they measure up, comparing and contrasting to others. That can result in them being proud because the rest of these people are obviously idiots. And I measure up here. 
Or it may result in depression for the child because they don't believe they they measure up. The things that we've done in prior stages, again, always help with these. Uh, Remember in that uh, uh, Jewish arrangement, if you look on page 19 again, you're teaching the, the children at a very early age under the control phase. I'm a child of God, unique and valuable and forgiven. So this is where the child's identity in Christ is going to become very important. Do they get their identity from what their peers say? Do they get their identity and their self-worth from what other people say? Or do they get that identity from who they are in who they are in Christ? And then you become, those are the subjects, and you become an advisor at this point. Now, you still have rules, a la what I said earlier about devices and TV and all those kinds of things. But you're now trying to allow the... Uh, and purposely allowing the child to make more decisions on his or her own. Notice number three there, you're granting increasing freedom. So you're allowing them to make uh, more decisions because you're preparing them for that stage when they're going to be they're going to be independent. And they if you have a good relationship with them, then they're going to be asking you questions and you're going to be an advisor to them. And some of those questions are going to be involved in apologetics, the worldview stuff that we talked about. And uh, you need to then specialize in apologetics and wisdom kinds of uh, thinking yourself and discussions with them yourself. And through all of this, you could become very frustrated. Because you've got this teenager who you may have brought to church their whole life. And now they're a teenager and they're starting to ask these questions. And you're going, weren't you taught that when you were six? When you were eight? About where we came from and, you know, who God is and why we didn't just evolve and so on. Weren't you taught all that? And you could become very frustrated with the fact that they're asking. So let me advise you very strongly, friends. Do not shut down your teenager's questions. Do not shut them down. If you shut them down, you lose them. We are there to advise our children. We are there to direct our children. If you don't know the answer, then you've got to get the answer. You can come to me. I don't know every answer myself, but I know where to get them. You can come to our youth leader. We're in this together. So there are avenues and resources for us to get the answers together. If you don't have them, you'll get them, but don't shut them down. Now, again, from experience, I can tell you this. One of our daughters questioned everything. And I'm I'm then doing, and Kim and I are struggling with what I just said to you. Hey, haven't we taught you this your whole life? Why are you asking these questions? You're just being rebellious. Shut up. We didn't say that. But we felt like it. You know, you felt like saying that. But we recognized that we had to do what I'm talking about here. That we have to engage our child and direct our child and help our child. So we had lots of discussions. Lots and lots of discussions. Lots of kind of apologetic discussions. Defense of the faith kinds of discussions. And a lot of prayer goes with that. Lord, use these discussions to take root in the heart of our daughter. 
so you don't you know you don't know what's going to happen with that but i would just tell you when it when it goes in a good direction it's a very gratifying thing so to have that daughter going to college and now having meetings with friends that she's meeting at college so she's meeting these friends at college who didn't grow up like she did and they don't know what she does so she's now having meals with these kids and she's coming and telling me what she's telling these kids and this is stuff we told her when she was asking all these questions so the child remembers they're catching they're catching that and then by God's grace uh, in the case of at least this one child putting that into practice now as a, a young college student now I say there take a principial approach a principial approach remember what I said last week about the Bible is not a big book of do's and don'ts the Bible actually has relatively few commands it's got particularly in the New Testament uh, there are commands but most people think the Bible is just a kind of a dictionary where you can just look under a topic and find should I do this or shouldn't I do it and it doesn't work that way but instead the Bible is a, a narrative the Bible is a story that tells us who God is and who we are and what our problem is and how we're to interact with him and with and with one another and out of that we draw principles that have to be applied to the circumstances that present themselves. So take a principial approach like that, taking the principles derived from Scripture and making application of those to the things that the child is facing. Now, what are the obstacles to you doing this? Well, the obstacles to having positive parental influence are parental idols of the heart. That you... Uh, that you idolize and want and prioritize comfort more than the hard work of doing what I was talking about, talking to this child and having numerous talks with this child and having talks with this child late at night and all of that, often about things that we've talked about you know, years earlier. Uh, and if you idolize comfort more than you idolize the objective of this child uh, becoming what God has made them to be, well, then you'll fail and you'll abdicate. Or uh, respect. Just uh, do this because I'm your dad. You know, I'm, I've, you know, look at us. Aren't we great? We turned out great. Just do what we did, and you'll turn out like us. Duh. Okay. And so you've got this, you know, inflated view that says you owe me this respect, and I shouldn't have to go through all of this uh, with you. You know, when uh, the child ought to do it, thirdly, simply out of appreciation. After all I've done, right, for you, this is the thanks I, this is the thanks I get. You're turning your back on, or look like you're turning your back on these things. Or the idol of control. I don't want you asking a bunch of questions because that's outside my, outside my comfort zone. I'm somebody who likes things tightly knit and to be in control of. So be aware of those. If you see any of those in your own heart, then the solution to idols of the heart is always the same. It's, it's repentance and replacement of that idol, replacement of that idol with its, with its off, uh, opposite. And so just think of the opposite uh, commitments, opposite words of each of those, and uh, replace that idol with, with, the new, uh, with the new objective. And then here are the goals of the teen years. 
Focus on spiritual struggle. Develop a heart for God. Developing a heart of conviction and wisdom. Now go through those quickly because notice it's spiritual struggle. It's heart for God. It's heart of conviction. Those words are chosen on purpose because we're not looking to be behaviorists in the way we raise our children. Now, some of you know that behaviorism is a school of um, psychology that says if you're going to help somebody with their problems, then you need to focus on their behavior. But Christianity doesn't first focus on behavior. Christianity first focuses on uh, on the heart. And it's out of the heart that the behavior comes. So Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And from the heart come forth the issues of life, says the book of of Proverbs. And that's why then we want to focus on the heart. Now, how do you do that? As you're discussing things with your your child, you're asking your child, "So, so what's going on in your heart with that? I mean, you're asking them directly. What are you thinking when you want to do that? What is it that you desire that's causing you to pursue to pursue that? So I want to be popular. And this is what all the other kids are doing. Now, what is it that's happening in your heart that causes you to measure your worth according to what everybody else is Everybody else is doing. Those are the kinds of analytic questions that you want to ask the child in order to get at the heart, the heart struggle. You want, fourthly, bottom of page 20, to help them develop an ability to understand and interact redemptively with their culture. They're now getting exposed, as we said, to more and more stuff. So they want to interact with that. You don't want to isolate them. I don't want my daughters going to Eastern and Wayne State, as they are, and being isolated from the the people that are there. One, because the truth is I'm not afraid of them, and I don't want them to be afraid of them. Because at this point, I want them to understand that they've got the upper hand. You get that? that? That I want these girls to understand, and I think they do, they understand they're right and these guys are wrong. Not to be arrogant about it. But there's truth and there's non-truth. And they understand and know truth from God's word. And so now based upon that, based upon that confidence, they want to interact, but they want to interact redemptively with those uh, around them. They're aware of same-sex issues. They're aware of, they go to a college campus and you see all kinds of stuff and you hear all kinds of stuff both in and outside of the classroom. So they're aware of that. But they want to interact with that in an understanding and a, in a redemptive way, a redemptive meaning. What can we do now to see this problem and move it toward Jesus? Redeeming this otherwise bad thing. So let's give you an example. One of the girls is having meals with a, a young lady who lives way out in like St. Clair Shores or something. Um, but the girl has no religious upbringing at all. And so she's simply got a secular view of everything. But my daughter's getting an opportunity to expose her to things she's never heard before. And she's getting an opportunity to show her how an understanding of of truth applies to some of the things that are going on and struggles that are going on in her life, in her her home, and the things she sees happening in the world, world around her. 
So that's interacting redemptively with this. Just as an aside, this young lady uh, is supposed to be coming to church here in the next few weeks, uh, we, we think, as, as well. So we're looking forward to that, spending the night at our house because she lives way out there and then, and then coming to church. But thank God for that opportunity. And then finally, goal of the teen years is preparation for leaving. Ultimately, all of that is that you're doing is funneled toward the child uh, being able to do what Genesis 2.24 says, to leave father and mother and to cleave to their, to their spouse. All right, if you'll take a look at the next page then, page 21. In order, though, to be prepared for the teen years and do that stuff, you back it off to the middle of the three phases, and that's this one. The paideia process involves the development of character. And that's what the formative phase from ages 7 to 12 is, is about. Now take a look at the second paragraph. Each of the three phases has a key word to describe its objective. The objective of the control phase is submission. You want to teach, as we'll look at next week with our little ones, we want to teach them to learn to submit, to place themselves under the authority of their, uh, their parents. The objective of the second, the formative phase, is the formation of character. And of the third phase that we just looked at, the key word is wisdom. Because, presumably, by the time the child gets up to the teen years, they've gotten knowledge, they've gotten information. Wisdom is the application of what you know. Wisdom is putting into practice what you know. And on that previous page, you notice virtually everything that I said about the teen years is all about taking the things you know and then putting them putting them into practice in terms of dating, in terms of how you view the world and all of that. But that requires wisdom. So that's the key word. This lesson is going to focus on the development of character necessary to obtain wisdom. Wisdom's the next phase, but that wisdom flows out of character that is... Uh, developed in this middle phase from ages 7 to 12. So middle of page 21, character is an internal issue. As we evaluate our child's character, here's a way we could define it. Living consistently with who God is and who I am. Character is living consistently with who God is and who I am. So sometimes people have defined character as what you do when no one's looking around. You guys have heard that before? Um, and that's, that's true, and it fits actually with this definition. I mean, who is, who is God? God is always, whether I'm around people, whether I'm alone in my own, the recesses of my own thoughts, God is always the same, and I am always and at all times interacting with, interacting with, with God. So living consistently with that, the character of God and who I am takes place whether I'm around people or I'm, I'm alone. Now, Appendix A, the next page, gives you some ways to diagnose your child's character. Take a look at that, if you would, the diagnosis of character. Diagnosing their character in relationship to God, in relationship to others, and in relationship to themselves. And you see the kinds of questions here that I would encourage you to take a look at so that you can see where your child needs some emphasis on the development of their their character. Is he living in conscious need for God in his relationship with God? What is the content of his relationship with God? Is he concerned to know and love God? 
Is God a source of strength and comfort and help and, and so on? And I'll just uh, plug my wife here. By the way, I'm just using examples from us because I'm the only family I've, I've been in. Okay, so that's why I told you that at the beginning. But uh, Kim did this regularly with our girls, particularly when they were in these ages, when they were smaller. She did this regularly with the girls. Everything that is going on in your life is centered on God. Everything. Every last thing that's happening with you, you take it to God. Everything you do, you pray to God about it. Everything that's happening with you is a God thing. Not just some things, everything. And over time, they caught that. Now, Annie used to crack us up because, you know, Kim would say, so pray about it. Pray about something you need help with. And so Annie's, you know, she's literal, man. Everything's literal with her. And if she can't open a jar, she prays. When she's a little kid, she prays. And she still can't open the jar. Well, now she's having a crisis of faith. You know, I ask God to help me, and he doesn't. And she comes to us and says that. I ask him, and he doesn't help me. And I go, watch this. And then I open the jar, and I give it to her. And I go, see, that's God helping you through somebody else, right? God doesn't always help you directly, but you're learning that God does help you. And when he helps you, he's the one who gets the the glory for it. But Kim did that regularly with our girls. And so that language of God and going to God and praying to God and seeking God in his word became kind of second nature. And that's the kind of thing that should happen. Not perfunctory, not mechanical. This is the way we live. We are living every moment of every day, quorum Deo, Latin for in the face of God, in the presence of God. So you can see the questions there in relationship to others. What are your child's relationships? How does he or she interact with others? What sorts of relationships do they have? So you're observing this. What are you learning and seeing about them in their relationship with others? Uh, with the girls. Um, our firstborn is take charge. She knows what needs to be done. And if you don't know what needs, if you don't see that she knows what needs to be done, well, that's just a shame for you. Okay. And the truth is, you know, in my humble opinion, she's got a lot of ability. She doesn't know what needs to be done. Not only with her peers, with her, with her old man too. You know, she, she tells me this is what needs to be done. And I'm like, who are you to tell me what needs, I don't say this to her, but who are you? Come on, kid. But then as I think about it, she really does. She's got it together on a lot of this. Well, that's a good thing. But you can see how those good things for all of us can become a bad thing in our relationships if we're not careful, right? So we've had to work with her on on that. With Annie, Annie likes to be around the crowd. Annie likes to be around the, the people. She likes to be with what's happening. And we saw early on that that can be a very that can be a very healthy thing, it can be a very good thing. She's going to have contacts and relationships with people and all of that. But you can see how that become a bad thing, right? Well, what's the ticket to entry into this web of relationships? What do I have to do to be a part of that? And is her character such that she's willing to give that in order to be a part of that? So that's what we started to look at with her. And we talked to him very directly about that. Lainey, you've got this ability. You can do this. But here's how it shows up in your relationships, both good and bad. Annie, this is your tendency. Here's how it can be both good and bad. You do that same kind of evaluation with your child in their relationships with others. And then bottom of page 22, the child in relationship to his or herself. 
How does your child think about himself? How well does he understand himself? Is he aware of his strengths and weaknesses and so on? Um, I think I told you, may have told you guys this a few weeks ago, forgive me. But you know, one of the ways that uh, showed up with the girls if, is if you know how to lead something, you know how to take charge on something, then your view of yourself can very easily become a prideful view. So we had to make sure that we worked on that. And that Laney in particular was aware of, of that. With regard to Annie, Annie wanted so much to fit in, wanted so much to be a part of, then any shortcoming that she saw in herself was just crushing to her. And, and, and so she would take any shortcoming and move it to an extreme. I can't do anything right. I'm dumb. I'm, I'm, I'm ugly. All of this when she's, when she's little. So I remember these conversations with her, you know, trying to reorient her view of herself, to understand herself, not in view of how she's comparing to everybody else, but in terms of how God sees her. And to make it very stark for her, I said, Annie, we don't allow people to lie in this house. When she's saying, I'm ugly or I'm, we don't allow people to lie here. You're a liar. Okay, that's what you are. You're not ugly, but you are a liar. Yikes. I go, and here's why I say that, sweetie. You just told a lie. That's not true. It's not accurate. And the reason it's not true and it's not accurate is because you're not using a proper evaluation standard for yourself. So let's talk about the standard that you need to use for evaluating yourself. Okay, so let's just give you samples of the kinds of things we need to do to evaluate the development of our children's character in relationship to God, to others, and to themselves. Now, back on page 21, middle of that page, we will pick up addressing the heart then next week. Excuse me, in two weeks. Next week, we'll have everybody in here for the representative from Bethany Christian Services, and then we'll finish off our series two weeks from today. All right, let's ask God to go with us, okay? Father, thank thank you again for the blessings of this Lord's Day, the opportunity to have been with your people, to worship you, and to learn of you, and now in this time to focus on learning what you have to say about the blessed task of, of parenting. Thank you, Lord, for these gifts from you that are our children, and they are gifts from you. And Lord, as I have to remind myself regularly, help my brothers and sisters to do likewise, that my children are actually your children, that they're ultimately yours, and that you have entrusted them to me, you've entrusted them to us for a period of time, and for a period of time to carry out your objectives in their lives. So, Lord, help us to see that as the great privilege that it is, but also the great responsibility that it is, and help us to recognize that we are not equal to the task. We've got to have your aid every moment of every day, to live in a way that is consistent, that models the character and the wisdom and the submission that we are trying to teach to our children. Lord, uh, help us by your grace to be able to do that, to do it by the way we live our lives and by the way we, we speak to our children as well. We ask you to go with us this week now. We ask you to grant us safety and to bring us back next Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.